Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Uh, konnichiwa. Happy Friday. Welcome to Kuden. It's uh, great to have everyone here with us uh, today that's uh, on our live show. And if you're joining us on the podcast at another time, thanks so much for searching it out and being a part of it. Uh, how are you me doing too. today, sir? Is it, is it good for me to be on the call, too? You glad to see me well, or hear me? It, it, it depends on what you have to say. That's it. 3,000 miles and you think <laughs> you've got a shield. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know how that goes, right? Anyway, good no, distance, I'm good. Good distance, as Shiraishi yeah, Sensei would say. Good distance. That's right. That's right. Good distance, do good situation, make. That's right. <laughs> good timing, do good situation, make. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's all good. Uh, I'm just busier than crap. I'm, I'm uh, as you know, I've been doing the, the workplace violence uh, consulting stuff for a little while. Well, not for a little while. It's been for a couple of years, but um, I haven't really put a lot into it. I mean, if something came my way, and you know, I did it, and, you know, but uh, I kickstarted it, and um, I've been spending a lot of time redesigning websites and all that. And I actually have a consultant of my own that I work with. That uh, next week we turn on the faucet for marketing, and uh, I'm actually doing some of that now. But uh, I'm ready to uh, be all over the place. So who knows? I may find myself in your area, and um, working for somebody and get together and, and do some cool stuff. Maybe you can, we can even host a seminar out there and, uh, and do something. So That cool. would be excellent. Yes, definitely. That would be awesome. This is not my consulting voice when I say that'd be cool. <laughs> so <laughs> Definitely uh, aim for the time when I know it's going to be like, you know, four degrees back there. It'll be nice and 70 out here. Right. See? See, I, <laughs> finally the timing would work out well for me, right? Uh, right. My wife would appreciate it. Yeah. Because, you know, she's from, she's from uh, Southern California. She's from um, oh. uh, Ukaipa. Do you know where Ukaipa is? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard yeah. of that. Yeah, it's near San Diego, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, so she was used to skiing in the summertime and doing other things in the summertime, too. So I'm sure she'd love to be able to go out and run around her own, stomp, her old stomping grounds for a little while. Yeah, so, that'd be very anyway, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I thought, so. you know, we'd kind of start, interestingly enough, we, we kind of have a good topic I want to get into that's that's very topical and timely. But I think before we, we roll into that one, uh, I, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit just kind of, um, just because, you know, you've been so busy, lots of different things happening uh, in your world yeah. as as well as mine. I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the benefit and, and maybe a few um, kind of the basic um, ways to train yourself 
to be able to switch modes. Uh, I think I think both you and I uh, have to do that quite often. Uh, being able to switch modes from teacher, student, sure. those types of things, but even you know professionally in the workplace. Uh, as I said, kind of to you before the call and off the call, I'm dealing with a couple you know HR issues in my work environment. Uh, so mm-hmm. being able to switch modes to go literally within like a minute or two of time from dealing with uh, handling a resignation or an HR problem to jumping into this show, being entertaining and talking about uh, these types of things, you know, that I know is for me has been a great benefit of my training. Uh, But I think many others would be interested in how you start down that path of working that into your training. Well, it's a good thing that I've already worked this into my training because every once in a while I get some wing nut, not necessarily from California, throwing me a curveball because (laughs) this wasn't a topic I was going to cover. So, hey, um, no, it's all good. Surprise! <laughs> it's a question thing. So, right. So you get to be the question guy. Um, this is actually something, as you know, because you you've worked with me on more than just you know martial arts techniques. You needed to is so uh, so loaded with different skill sets, right? Um, as one of my teachers likes to say and remind people that there's different types of needed to. So be clear about which one you're doing, right? And so within the meditation world, right, we have uh, certain types of meditative practice that actually link uh, two or three of the three basic types uh, together. And one of the exercises is the ability to actually throw that mental switch to where you go from, now in this case it's to go from Zen mind where there's no thought, no thinking in words, that kind of thing, to insight-based, observation-based kind of uh you know, meditative thought. But the trick with training that mental switch is, one, you want to be able to switch, right? You have to be able to switch gears, but you want to be able to switch gears so that little to no residual, uh, no leftover from the previous state of mind comes over in the moment because mm-hmm. that would hinder what uh, and what you can do and how uh, how many how what level of results and, and what level of engagement that you can be in in the moment, right? So uh, part of that is, is being able to do that, but you want to be able to throw that switch. So uh, the way I'm taking the question is it's the same kind of idea, but we're looking at it in life. And so, as usual with the ninjas thing, right, uh, we can come at this from three different perspectives, Right. Um, one is training the mind so that we can do that, so we can jump right into things. Because uh, one of the one of the problems that uh, we can often that can often occur, and this happens no matter how trained your mind is. Uh, well, it's not no matter how trained it is, but uh, even with with you know a good effort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this this thing where. You know, if your mind's fully engaged in something, let's say I'm working on a, uh, I'm, I'm working on one of my books or a training workbook or something for students, right? And I'm like fully engaged in this thing, and there's a knock at my office door, and one of my staff members needs the answer to a question, okay? Or needs to know what I want them to do for the day or something like that, right? Which sounds pretty innocuous to most people, I and mean, it's just, you know, they're just asking a question. The problem with that is as soon as you disengage from the thing that you were fully engaged with, for most people, it can take upwards of 15 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes 
to get back into that same deep level of engagement where everything is just flowing, right? Mm. Now, if you're listening to, uh, you know, music and you're looking at your phone every time the notification buzzer goes off or whatever, then you're already not fully engaged. So I don't know how you can complain if somebody knocks on the door with a question because you are already splitting your attention. So, right, uh, which is why mine often gets turned off or the volume gets turned down. Or if it's too much and even the vibration or whatever, I'll put it in a different room. I'll just put it away. Um, had to get my wife okay with that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But part of this is in uh, training the mind so that you can get engaged, so that you can be more fully engaged in something, right, remove distractions and get used to and train yourself to more fully engage with things. So that's on the personal, mental kind of thing, right? So that when you switch gears, you are literally switching gears and you're not just, you know, it's just another form of multitasking, okay? So uh, along that line, I find it very helpful to have a uh, kind of a time management system. Now, trust me, I'm not a time management junkie where every minute of my day is planned out, but uh, I have these worksheets that I use uh, that actually came out of some small business development training that I did years ago. <clears throat> actually, actually, you were still in dojo training when I went through that mm. stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, so there's a whole system to this, but uh, once we get to the daily worksheets, in the upper left-hand corner, there are five lines. And I may not need all five lines, but these are the things I must accomplish today for today to be successful in my head, which goes a long way to feeling like I've accomplished something. Uh, and we all need that. We all need benchmarks, right? So those things may be the, com- the start and fully, uh, com- you know, full completion of a given thing. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a flyer for an upcoming seminar or a sign-up sheet or something like that, something that's easy. It could be a piece of a larger project that I'm working on like when I was working on restructuring the uh, workplace violence uh, website, right? So today's thing was, and not today, but maybe on a, on a given day, that thing was to get uh, testimonials and case studies from previous clients on the, on the main page, right? And maybe some, um, some company logos that I've worked for. Okay? So hmm. if that's in place, then I'm good, right? I don't put something... Like a, like a big project like that on there to be completed in a day. So yeah. I'm a realist as well, right? <laughs> and then it might be, uh, you know, uh, to finish up something that was intended for yesterday, but for whatever, right? But there's no more than five things, depending on the size of them. For me, there's generally no more than three, okay? And these are hmm. absolutely must-finish today kind of things, okay? So those, that that kind of, pegs, you know, my focal point. And that, for some people, that could be, you know, spend time with the family, right? I'm going to spend sure. two hours of uninterrupted time with my kids or whatever. You know, it, it depends on what your priorities are. It doesn't always have to be uh, just business, right? Because for a lot of folks, they're not in business. So uh, it's, you know, they've got a, a maybe they have a, a blue-collar job or whatever, where it's pretty much the same thing every day. So, those eight hours are already chopped out. They've got that, right? So they don't even yeah. have to put that on the time management. They've got it, right? But if they're mm-hmm. in management, executive level, you know, they're in the C-suite, like all the CEOs, COOs, you know, that kind of thing, right, mm. uh, or whatever, they would probably have things like that. 
But at the same time, most of us would also have a personal life kind of thing as well, you know. Uh, I need to spend this amount of un- uninterrupted time. We've all been talking about going to a movie. You know what? I'm taking the kids to a movie today, and so that's what we're going to do, right? Uh, we're going to the park, and they can run around and scream and go nuts and, you know, whatever. So uh, so there's that, right? And yeah. then there is a uh, a secondary list, okay? It would be nice if these things were done, okay? Um, so... It might be, uh, let's see, um, planning out uh, or at least doing an outline for an upcoming online training program that some people have continually asked me about, like the 37 fundamentals leading to enlightenment that somebody that we both know uh, started talking about, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. So, um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, punch you in the face. So anyway, uh, it might be something like that where if it gets done today, great, but it has to get done soon. So um, I'm going to jot that on my list so it stays top of mind. And then if I get the, the what I call drop-dead urgent thing done, then, okay, and, if, and I have time, then, okay, I'm whip this thing out. No problem, okay? Uh, but there might be a couple of those things on there, um, again, so they're there. But then I have uh, a, a daily schedule where I get things done. And part of that daily schedule, so for my work schedule, let's say I show up at the dojo at 9 a.m., and, you know, I know I have classes on that day blocked out from 4, like uh, on, well, let's say today, right? From 5 to 8.30, I'm teaching classes. So they're wow. blocked out. Nothing can, be, yeah. nothing can be scheduled in there, right? It's It's blocked out. But I also, before I put anything else on the schedule, I block out two hours, I block out two hours, unless I'm really swamped on a given day like Tuesdays, I only block out an hour. And that is unschedulable time, right? I already blocked that in there because people have a habit of scheduling in all of their time and then frustration occurs because they ran out of time. So this yeah. unschedulable, unschedulable block, and it, it could be an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, whatever. It's scheduled in so that should one of these other projects run over or, you know, a fire start, and I've got to go put it out, right, like we had a a problem with the Internet go down one day. It wasn't like it went down. It just slowed way down to where we couldn't get anything done, and that's Mm. down. Do you know what I mean? It's not like we lost it. It was there. It's just (laughs) nothing would work right. So Mm. I spent easily an hour working on getting that stuff back up, right? So... You know, can you imagine what my day and what my emotional state would have been like had I needed to get other things done that then didn't get done because, right? Yeah. Luckily, the extra time that I needed ate into the it-would-be-nice things. But these get blocked out because it provides a buffer, okay? And then on my schedule, like from 1 to 2 p.m. every day, unless I need to reschedule it, that's when I'm returning phone calls, so if somebody calls during one of my blocked out, don't interrupt me time, unless the building is burning down, which is communicated with staff. Again, I'll talk about that in a minute. Right now, this is all personal. Uh, when somebody calls the dojo or calls my office, there is a script. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting 10 feet away from this person. The answer is, he's not here right now. Can I take a message? He normally returns his phone calls within 24 hours 
and he normally does that between 1 and 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Does that work for you? Okay. So now my wife knows that, you know, she'll send a feeler email or a text or something like that to see if I have time, unless it's a drop-dead urgent thing. Of course, mm-hmm. you can interrupt me. You know, things are burning down. Okay. So the big thing is in just providing a little bit of uh, of time that this is what I'm going to deal with things. Now, with your HR thing, see, that's when something gets thrown in, right? So if you have time blocked out for whatever is necessary, bleed over of a project that you underestimated on or whatever, then you have leeway in your day. Or if this thing occurs, you know, the HR thing that you're talking about, then, okay, yeah. I can move something that was supposed to happen at that time. I can move it into my blocked out time, and everything still gets done, right? So this is using unscheduled time. I just need to move things. So part of it's flexibility as well, right? So when I say about structuring these things, I don't mean a rigid structure. Um, you know, you make it as set as possible so that it helps everybody else. But at the same time, there's flexibility. We're a ninja for God's yeah. sake. So why are inflexibility? <laughs> but you can't be so rigid that as soon as something goes amiss, you break, right? Or you can't be so flexible that everything's so nebulous that nothing gets done. You know what I mean? It's just, it's all, it's all over the place, right? There's no way to track it. So that's part of it, right? That's part of my sanity thing. Um, yeah. Then there is the communication with others, okay? So within the dojo and my consulting business, there are systems. And one of those systems is called the DDU system. DDU means drop-dead urgent, okay? Hmm. So it's a communication system that includes this DDU thing, right? So the communications, let's say that there's a seminar coming up, and so the staff members already know it's coming up. So uh, three months out, they get the, the flyer ready for it, right? So at two months out, we can post the flyer, and everything's already it's already done, okay? Um, uh, six weeks to a month out, the sign-up sheet's done, uh, and that goes up, right? So we've been doing this stuff for so long that all, I have to do, all they have to do is pull a current or pull one from the past, and all, you know they can already change the dates and times and location and all that because we already have that fixed. But what they then do is they put that in an inbox that I have that I'm going to check just in passing on the way by because they want to make sure that for me the picture's still what I want done. You know if I want any tweaks or changes or whatever then I'll do my little red pen mark on it and put it back in their inbox, okay? They don't need to interrupt me and go, hey, I'm going to get ready with that flyer. Um, What do you want changed on it? Right when I'm in the middle of something, okay? So I cut down on those those things. I already told you how I cut down on the uh, unnecessary phone calls. If it's not Mm -hmm. a drop-dead urgent thing, right, it's not the tax man, it's not my wife saying one of my kids just fell off a roof, uh, why they were on a roof at school, I don't know, but hey, you know, um, whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. Unless it's one of those things, I am not available. And I will tell people, I'm going to my office to work on this. I am not available unless you have a drop dead urgent thing. And the, in our system, drop dead urgent is defined. Okay? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that's the only time that I'm going to be interrupted in the middle of something. It would be something that I would be required to move on even if I were working alone, right? So it's okay. Uh, if no one else is here, right, except for me, I, that's why I have an answering machine, right? That's why I have voicemail on my cell phone, right? 
people often complain because, well, this person called at this time. Did you have to answer? Well, you know, I feel bad for not answering. You know, sometimes technology just gets way in the way. Just because somebody texted you or posted a Facebook notification or sent a PM or whatever doesn't mean you need to answer it right now, right? I mean, if you were in a car crash, you couldn't. If you were in a, if you were asleep, you wouldn't hear it. What you know, whatever, right? So, people are getting more and more imperative because they expect an answer because that's what they would do. So I've had to retrain people in my life that if I am busy, I will get back to you as soon as possible. That's why the voicemail message says exactly that thing, right? Um, so part of that is just getting cooperation with, with the world, that if you need time, you're going to let people know. And, you know, it's not where you're being bully and brash about it. You just have that little discussion, like when I'm going to work on a book and I need to get it done in a certain amount of time. I tell my family, I tell my wife, who loves to have my attention whenever I'm at home. Um, so, you know, it's a cool thing to have, right? Um, better than being yeah. ignored all the time. So, sure. <laughs> um, but I let her know, look, I've got to get this thing done. Just like I did with the consulting uh, business, re, uh, ramping it up and rolling it out, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to need some time. Um, so if I'm distant or if I'm working a lot or whatever, just know that it's not you. Um, you know, I make little gestures to stay connected, but we're not going to have our half hour to one hour a night because I need to get these things done. And she says, and, you know, this time around she said, I don't care if it takes you five weeks or more or whatever, if that means that things are rolling out and you're busy and I'm going to have to travel with you for, for conferences and jobs or whatever, um, you know, go for it kind of thing. So, But I get those so that she gets it, So that, uh, but there's also an agreement, right, so I can mm-hmm. remind if it's necessary. But either way, right, I communicate with others to, to block these things out. And then uh, the other thing is, is again, it goes back to personal, but it's more of a uh, of a universal understanding that um, the only constant in life is change. So no matter how many of these things we put in place, one of the biggest things that we need is the idea of uh, not just flexibility, but the acceptance that change occurs and, you know, I've got somebody that's new working the desk, and she can often be a chatterbox, and I have to cut her off. And she gets it. She has a very light demeanor, which is really great. But, you know, if I leave her unfettered, um, she will just ramble on. So I have to I have to steer those kind of things. Um, but at the same time, there's been a couple of times where, you know, things have happened or the day's just going, uh, you know, a certain way or with best of intentions, I start getting ill in the middle of the day. Right, so I have to recognize that yes, these were the things I intended to do today, but I'm just not up to full energy output. So I'm going to need to trim this back, right? And so you just, you know, not that you do it, I do it, right? But these are these are my things, right? So um, you know, and, and if we're really working on it from the perspective of the ninja, right? We have to remember those three aspects, right? That Miwo Shinobu. Developing a body that is capable of withstanding challenges and and doing the work, and nothing can be more challenging than, than the training, right? Um, the Kokoro Shinobu, the mind capable of enduring uh, challenges and changes and things like that, and then Chikuo Shinobu, uh, the heart, which is more, really more the perspective, 
right, again, which goes back to our Mikio training, uh, right view, right? That precedes everything else on that list of eight, right? So before you can have right thought, right speech, right action, right effort or whatever, you have to have the right perspective. So, um, you know, do you see yourself as being overwhelmed um, and maybe out of your element? If you are or if you do, then that's going to affect how you respond to all these things that occur, right? If you see yourself as capable and confident um, on the arrogant side, you know, you're going to generate more grief because you're not going to get cooperation and then, you, you know, that's going to lead in a different direction. But so it's, um, there's a lot of, just a, a lot of fortitude. So yeah. uh, recognizing, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be bringing on people and I don't look forward to it, which is why I also balancing that by looking forward to growing quickly so that I can afford to put an office manager in place and somebody that handles the HR stuff because I don't want to have to deal with stupidity, right? I know I will have to, but I don't want that to be my my constant realm, right? Yeah. Just like, you know, you're in radio and you have more than just HR things to do. So mm-hmm. that's a cool thing. But to recognize, again, right view is recognizing that you work with human beings and therefore there's always the potential for these things to occur. So there they are, Right. Did you expect it today? No, but the fact that you know they occur, can occur, and probably will occur, right, at some point and from anyone, um, lessens the the shock of surprise. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, you know, I would share, so, too, just from my own experiences, is, um, you know, always kind of having, having a sense to uh, think about contingency plans, you know, if you're in management yeah, and you have people that are in key roles, uh, you know, it, it it certainly isn't, you know, something that on a personal level you want to think about, well, if this person leaves or if they have to be terminated, what, what do you do beyond that? But if you right. don't take yourself through that mental exercise of going, you know, what what are their what's their key functions? Who would fill those roles in the short term versus long term? Um, if you don't have those things in place, it can really upset your world so much more than if you've already had the forethought to, to think about a contingency plan if you lose a key person. Well, you have, to, you, have to, you have to make it up in the moment, right? Under pressure, yeah. you have to make it up right. in the moment, which is why we train, right? And even those things that are what might be considered to be untrainable, like, you know, in, in 05 when my car went off that cliff, right? Um, that was thought through. The, the action plan was thought through again and again and again. Uh, off and on for years. So I didn't have to make it up while my car was tumbling down a hillside, right? So um, this, this is no different from any other part of our life, right? Um, I think that human beings, um, well, and this is part of, partly from research as well, right? We like to think about the best of, of situations and, and the good things when we're getting into something, and we tend to think about all the negatives when we're getting out of something. But when we're in something, we can tend to fall into complacency and just the recognition that this will last forever. And all things are subject to change, right? It doesn't matter if it's a job, business relationship, friendship, marriage, whatever. Now, that may change at the death of someone, right? Uh, Love may continue, whatever, but something changed, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know... Nothing is is more shocking than to, to a lot of people who have that than when it actually occurs. Right? I mean, I, I heard that from my grandfather 
the week after my grandmother passed. No one could understand in the nursing home where they lived how he could wake up when they found her. She had passed away in her sleep, and he simply rolled over. He had no emotional uh, expression or anything, just rolled over and went back to sleep, right? And that was interpreted by everyone present. I wasn't there, but interpreted mm. by everyone as a, look how little he cares for his wife. Mm. Okay? And, you know, uh, there were lots of things behind it, but what he told me later was, you know, no one ever thinks of this. Now, that's not true because based on my background, I think about it all the time. It's part of one of our meditations, right? The skeleton waiting at the end of the path. Right? So it's, it's a thing, right? But nobody wants to think about this, and you don't believe it when it happens. And what he told me was he was so distraught that he didn't want to he want to think about it. And in the, in the state he was, being tired and all that, it was just easy. It was just easier to put him to put himself back to sleep. That way, he wouldn't have to think about it. He wouldn't have to to sure. be there to watch them take her away. As a final, she wouldn't be coming back to that room, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, one, it speaks of a whole life of not wanting to think about these things, and two, it speaks of uh, how we all handle grief and stress and, and all those kind of things, right? So just simply preempting and, and having, you're right, having a contingency plan or having a, uh, what's often called in business, a business continuity plan. You know, when a workplace violence uh, thing occurs, one of the biggest things that happens is business slows down. There's uh, a lot of uh, vacation time taken because people are traumatized. There's employee turnover because people like can't go into that place again because they're traumatized. And sure. so, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, this is before legal fees and, and, uh, and paying for medical and all that stuff, right? It's just, uh, so how do we keep this thing alive? How do we keep business moving uh, to the best of our abilities uh, so that paychecks can be made next week and stuff like that, right? In the wake of this thing, Right, so uh, we call it life continuity, right? Because life will go on. The question is, will it go on with, with or without you? Right, your day will go on. So uh, just you know, being clear about these things, I think, is a huge help. But uh, you can still put things in to where you're not, especially in positions like you and I have, where we are in a management uh, leadership role kind of thing, where you're, you're doing that, right? Uh, maybe the wife wouldn't complain so much that she, they weren't getting attention or the kids would feel like daddy was always gone or whatever if we decided and, and purposefully chose that, you know, my days are filled, but I can carve out uh, an hour twice a week or a two-hour chunk or every other weekend belongs to the family kind of thing, right? So that way everything balances out. That way they get it that there's that life balance. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, that's good yeah. sense. So uh, it's, it's very, very difficult for those of us who are self-employed, right? Because you're not just—you <laughs> can't blame the man, right? You are the man or the woman or whatever. But at the same time, things do need to get done because the truth in yeah. my world is, even though my wife works for a major medical center, the truth in my world for my half of the relationship is, if I don't work, I don't get paid. 
I don't have the, I mean, I can take, people think that I have all the flexibility in the world, and I do. I can take sick days, I can take vacation days, I can take as many as I want, but I don't get paid for those days. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's the reality and it's the choice I've made, but at the same time, I, I think the, the clarity is the biggest thing to come out of that. Uh, was that helpful? Yeah. No, it was all great, okay. great advice, great stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to what came to mind too, just kind of a little thing as I think about, you know, what what are exercises maybe people catch us on the podcast or listening right now can can try to do with that whole mode switching thing. I think back to one of the, the early lessons I recall from I think it would be in uh early in mod two of your curriculum where uh I first got a touch point with like that clearing breath. The simple the simple mode of like a clearing breath or you know oh, so sure. a, like a water breathing thing that right. just uh, from a that, physical standpoint, starting with a physical little thing that can really just change, uh, yep. you know, your mode and, and start working on little things like that, that, you know, you can well, grow breathing into is, I mean, exercise. Breathing is the, your your breath and your blood, right? And your, the breath goes into the bloodstream. So they both touch every part of your body, right? So, mm-hmm. with, and this is not metaphysical, this is, this is scientific, right? So, uh, but yeah, so you've got this cleansing breath, right? So just being able to take in a long, deep breath and push it out, just push that pressure and, and stress out, right? Um, another thing that my uh, my meditation teacher taught me a long time ago was to acknowledge the emotion, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're angry, instead of letting it brew, if you're frustrated, if you're, uh, you know, stressed or whatever, right? Instead of letting it cook inside, just verbalize it, you know, I'm angry or I'm frustrated or, you know, whatever, right? Because as soon as you do that, you put words and therefore left brain analytical function to that right brain, heart, emotional experience. And as soon as you do that, that automatically flips a switch in your brain and actually de-escalates the amount of emotional sting that you're experiencing. So... You know, on the cold side of our brain, the left brain kind of thing, right? There's no emotion being processed over there. It's very cold, analytical, you know, whatever, right? Um, on the emotional side, there's not a whole lot of analytical stuff going on, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, people say that they lead with their heart or their emotions or whatever. They're just constantly being drawn around by whatever feels good and avoiding whatever feels bad, right? Um, the analytical people, everything is cold. Right, so feeling doesn't enter into this. This is what the numbers spell out. This is what we have to do, kind of thing, right? Uh, most of us live in the middle, right, where they kind of lead, but often we're not self-aware as to which parts lead in at a given moment and how each one can be used to lessen the sting of the other. So while the right brain, uh, experiential heart side of us, breathes life into stories and you know, the analytical parts of our day, right? Uh, the analytical side, right, um, uh, puts structure to that to that uh, feeling-based kind of thing. Because if it didn't, none of us would ever go for uh, a shot to the, or an uh, exam at the doctors or whatever uh, for fear that it will hurt. So, therefore, right. anything that hurts is ultimately bad, except that that momentary pain or discomfort may allow them to find something that's 
you don't want to experience that pain or whatever later uh, or, you know, whatever it is, right? So uh, that's our grown-up mind that can override the, yes, this is uncomfortable, but for the greater good, this is, I have to do this thing, you know, whether it's disciplining your child or whatever, right? Um, same thing on the other side, right? So uh, this feels really, really good, and I love doing this. Oh, my God, I could do this all day long. But there's the left-brain acknowledgement that if I did, who would be feeding the kids, right? right. Um, where would right. I be living or whatever because I wouldn't be going to work and making any money. Right? Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's that kind of thing. So. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good, good question, good topic. You're you're always so good about me throwing these conversational grenades at you, and uh, well, I appreciate you it. know, <laughs> part of being a ninja, right? Um, and you know, I'm also the, the first one, also that if you throw something at me, and I say, you know, if I don't have any experience with that, or I don't do it personally, or whatever, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that. Mm, I don't know, we, maybe we should have a guest on that that could uh, talk about that kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, I'm, I'm the, constantly studying. I mean, I'm I now have a stack of five more books on through. I'm halfway through <laughs> two of them at the moment. You know, I'm always I'm always studying and, and learning things. So sure, yeah, it's good. Well, the topic we had discussed earlier in the week to to talk about on this show, right. I, I think, is a very very timely one. Uh, we've had previous, actually, many previous uh, discussions on this show on Kuden about, um, you know attacks on uh you know in public mass crowds it's a thing now that that we just live with that you know decades ago we didn't think about this so much but uh it's definitely a part of of the world today i think the most recent discussion we had on this show had to do around the time of the attack in manchester and that that particular attack right. was unique concert, in that right? they yeah at the concert that they they didn't they they subverted security because they waited for people to exit the the premises right. and that's when they right. decided to attack and and we've also seen a rise now you can look at Paris you can look at the most recent uh, you know yeah, Barcelona attack yesterday, that right? was done in Barcelona and even just uh, right. earlier this week or past weekend here in the United <laughs> States at the the rally um, that you know two sides and hate groups were involved and someone decided to drive their car into the crowd and ended up killing somebody and injuring many others. So the idea of a vehicular attack on a crowd of people has really started to emerge as a trend in a form of attack from people looking to cause harm to a lot of people. So I had, had talked to you earlier this week about, ah, I think that'd be good. I'd really like to hear more about ways to be aware of those things. How do you defend against a car barreling through a crowd of people? Where does it? Where does defense of that start? Yeah, and see, this is like divorce for a lot of people too, or death, right? It's, it's something they they don't want to think about, uh, including you know in the martial arts world, needed to, which is supposed to be so eclectic that hand to hand combat against another human being is only one tiny aspect of the entire training. But the name Ninjutsu has become synonymous with Budo Taijutsu or Ninpo Taijutsu, and that's all it is, mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so, right. uh, no, it's about survival. You know, again, I'm going to repeat this again. Takamasa asking Hatsumi Sensei when he first met him. Yeah, 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 you have all these skills. Great. You're a great fighter, right? Great. Okay. But can you survive? Well, survive mm. what? Whatever's necessary. Okay? Because martial artists are notorious, and self-defense people are notorious for only thinking about fisticuffs, only thinking about beating the other guy. Well, what if the other guy is, uh, you know, a quarter-ton vehicle? Right, so yeah. uh, or a half-ton vehicle, or 
ten ton tank or whatever, right? So um, uh, I, th- I think that's huge, and I think it's it's so overlooked, right? Um, yeah. I think I shared with you when you brought up the topic that um, you know uh, Mark Boer uh, from Rubicon, he's actually been, he did some training in Ninjutsu. Uh He and I have hmm. done a couple of urban survival things. We put together an urban survival course. Uh, on six different topics and, and that kind of thing, right? So there's all these online hmm. training things. Um, but, uh, you know, so we we keep our ear to the ground on a lot of this stuff. Um, and actually, did you know that there's a magazine, at least <laughs> there's one, uh, it's like magazine, magazine. It's an online magazine. But there's one out there for the budding or aspiring terrorist. Did you know that? Hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, when you pointed that out to me, I didn't really, I didn't realize there was a yeah. magazine. That you shared that with me, I was like, wow. <laughs> right. Wow. It's called Inspire. Right. It, yeah. And that's the whole premise: to inspire uh-huh. the lone wolf activist to do, to give them ideas for how to spark the cause. Right. So Inspire was the magazine that put out the use of vehicles, driving them into crowds and stuff like that as a terror device. So there's that, right? So when people are shocked that, you know, who would think of that? Well, it's a terror thing, and terrorists know to stay away from things that are everyday things because those things are moved to page 3 or page 10 or whatever the paper, right? You want the things that will get front-page attention for your cause. That's the terrorist agenda, okay? From long before I was a terrorist, uh, counter-terrorist operative in the 80s with the Army. So it's just the way they work, right? Way back in the 70s when uh, letter bombs had occurred for a while, uh, that was a big thing until the post office developed sensor uh, equipment and all that to check for these things um, and to prevent them from going off uh, the way they were. And as soon as that happened, then the next thing you know, it was, uh, you know, what, uh, hijacking planes or whatever. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. uh, it's the thing, right? So uh, actually the current issue that's coming out of Inspire uh, is now discussing the derailment of trains and uh, starting fires in congested parking areas. Mm. Okay. Because there's lots of gasoline there. The cars brought them with them, right, and all that, right? So uh, anyway, so don't be surprised when those things start happening. Yeah. Uh, And I think this just uh, drives home the point that I know you've said many times, and as always a reminder for me that, you know, uh, why train? Well, because there's somebody uh, out there right now training to defeat you, to to kill kill you. you. And people don't think about that because maybe you don't have a personal beef with anybody, but this drives it home. You don't need one. Just in most – the most – Bold fashion, I think, is that, yeah, there are folks out there right now figuring out how to kill me or my family if if they can devise and so, a way. And I maybe not to be in you as place. an individual, but they don't care. They're going to take out a certain number of people in this particular location. And if right. you find yourself in that location, then yeah. you're a target, right? Absolutely. So, you know, we talk about the personal development stuff, stuff and not painting a bullseye on yourself as an asshole or whatever. Right, and that's that's fine, but that's only part of it. Okay, so uh, and I, you know this is something that I have to drive home with my long distance guys and even the in in house guys because you know they come to they come to martial arts class and they do their thing and whatever, right? But I've got to constantly remind people about the eight phases of self defense uh, strategy that we have out there, right? 
um, and how it starts with what I've just been talking about, general awareness. General awareness is not paying attention to your surroundings. That's situational awareness. That's phase two. Phase one is recognizing the danger exists and knowing what kind of dangers you may face. I live in the world, and I have to cross the street regularly. Uh, you know, it's, it's possible, you know, how many people have thought about the fact that a plane could fall out of the sky on your house? Right. Is it possible? Hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Sure. Okay. Uh, how about a, uh, a bus, right, skipping a curb because the driver's having a heart attack uh, or got, you know, was trying to avoid something else or whatever and drove through not only the front porch but the living room of your house when you were in the basement, uh, you know, working on a hobby thing that you do or whatever, which happened to a friend of mine when I was a teenager. Right? Wow. Huge bus, not a school bus. We're talking like the big uh, inner city buses kind of thing, right? Right, right. right. into oh the God. house, right? And oh. it, was at, it was at 35, 40 miles an hour because the driver had a heart attack. When he stumped wow. over the wheel, it turned and went into his house. Had he been in the living room watching TV, my friend wouldn't be alive today. Okay? Wow. He happened to be in the basement. Okay? That's where he had his little workshop down there. And he built models and all that kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, right, hmm. right. who thinks of those things, right? Well, we live in a world full of vehicles. Sure. Right? Just because there are laws that say that people have to stay on the road and stop at stop signs and all that, right? And even if they're going to get in trouble if they break the law, what about heart attacks? What about, uh, you know, they spilled hot coffee on themselves? It doesn't matter that they weren't supposed to be driving distracted. What matters is that this is a possibility. So that first phase, general awareness, should temper and taper all of my other training, right? And it may only take a little bit of, you know, brain thinking or whatever. If this happens, here's going, I'm going to go X, Y, Z, like when my car rolled down that hill. When it came to a stop, I already had a plan of action. Check for injuries, determine my, my best exit point, and exit the vehicle as quickly as possible without disturbing the vehicle as much as possible, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, then what do you do from there? Well, then it crossed over into uh, survival training and all kinds of things, right? So, um, uh, but general awareness, right, and recognizing those things. So, now, please note that I'm probably going to end up pissing off some, some other people or whatever because um, I don't care if the guy was... Uh, what some news reports say, right, he was on the side of the people who were going to take out other people, right, um, or he was somebody that felt threatened and attacked in his vehicle, and he simply stomped on the gas to get out of it, okay, um, because people like for everybody else around them to take sides. And that's taking sides. or wasn't there, okay? Anytime shit like this goes on, there is a possibility, a distinct probability that bad things are going to happen. And for anybody to go to one of these things, no matter how much you believe in the cause or not, and not be prepared to extract yourself from that area and anybody else that you care about is just stupid. It, yeah. It's just that. So there it is, right? Um, I also don't argue with people over this stuff because I don't care. This is a non-political statement. I don't care if he was trying to escape harm or he was intentionally doing it, 
people were moving around other cars, and there was the possibility at any moment that any one of those vehicles could move, but they Mm -hmm. weren't paying attention, right? They were caught up in mob mentality, and they weren't paying attention. So am I saddened that someone died? Yes. Am I saddened that people were injured? Yes. But prior planning prevents piss poor performance. So Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, so uh, general awareness. If if you're going to, you know, be in a place, one, I I would, right? Um, I can send my things directly to senators or congressmen or whatever. Um, I can send out a news release and talk on news or whatever. I don't need to be associated with a crowd of people of which I don't know the the intentions of most, yeah. right? And I don't want to risk getting swept up in that mob mentality where, you know, mob mentality is it doesn't matter how many people are in a room or in an area, there's always one more person present, okay? There's you, I, and let's say Jason Whistler in a room, there's always a third entity, and that entity is the entity that's created by the uh, bonding and interaction or lack thereof of us, right? So mob mentality is that which, you know, happens when, um, you know, a group of people get together. And that mob mentality, this is what anti, uh, Antifa people are using, right? Hmm. There's a demonstration mm-hmm. that's going to be happening, right? So what they do is they go and insinuate themselves into this, and it doesn't matter what the pure intentions were of group A or group B. As soon as group C, who has nefarious intentions, inserts themselves into that, everything changes. Because part of mob mentality allows for people to act atypically for themselves because they feel... Uh, autonomous. They feel, uh, you know, they feel uh, uh, like a, just a, they're just another face in the crowd, right? So things that they wouldn't try to do when everybody was looking at them or that was obvious that was them, they would do as a part of a mob because, you know, I got swept up by it or it's what everybody else was doing or they just feel that they can hide in there and, and make it happen. And that's that's part of what's happening as well. So uh, part of it is just recognizing that bad things can happen and being prepped for it. So the other thing is with vehicles just in general, right? You don't have to be in crowds like this, right? Um, The London Bridge incident and some of these other ones, right? They weren't huge masses that were run into, right? The guy drove into what? A dozen maybe people that were just walking along in both directions, right? Uh, same thing happened in Germany. So, uh, Germany, something else, somewhere else too, where they drove a vehicle in, and when the vehicle got jammed up, uh, you know, bodies under wheels and all that, they jumped out, jumped out, and started stabbing people with knives or hit them with axes or whatever. So, you know, it, it is what it is, right? So, yeah. uh, part of this is in how would you do that, right? What would your signals be if you are not right? there, which I would highly suggest that if there's any kind of vehicle, right, you understand mobility on a vehicle, and why, just the same as you would in, with any other attacker, you just put yourself on angles that the vehicle can't get at you, knowing that it could, if somebody T-boned the vehicle, right, it could slide into you sideways, 
but yeah. putting enough distance that gives you time to respond, right? Yeah, when I teach workplace violence to, um, it doesn't matter if it's uh, corporate management or it's emergency room nurses, right? Um, the biggest problem with people trying to negotiate and talk down someone who's irate is that they don't give themselves the distance to respond. And that distance is a step and a half from wherever the, the, for the potential aggressor is standing. It's a step and a half for them to be able to get at you. And anything from that point farther, you can talk. You can negotiate because your left brain is working and you're going to need mental time to switch gears to automatic response. Okay? And science tells us that from the time something uh, comes, you know, is, is, uh, comes in contact with one of our sense receptors, eyes, ears, whatever, right? It takes almost a quarter of a second for our brain to process that before we can send a signal to, to respond, okay? So it's about two hundredths of a second, which is about the speed of an average full-speed punch, okay? Less than a quarter of a second, 200 milliseconds, okay? So... If it's going to take me just under a quarter of a second to even recognize that this is happening and I need to respond and things are traveling at a certain speed, right, which means it will be touching me or almost touching me by the time my muscles go into, uh, into action, then I need to have significant distance from whatever that potential danger is so that I have time to respond, Okay. So see why I wouldn't put myself in a crowd, yeah. Right? Unless I absolutely have no other choice, I don't put myself in a crowd. Okay. Um, the only reason for me putting myself in a crowd is I really do want to disappear. Okay. So it's a good escape and evasion tactic, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you have to know that you are at the whim of the crowd, even no matter how well you can navigate those those eddies of moving bodies through it. Right. You're still at the whim until you get to be able to move more freely, right? So um, anyway, so there's that, right? And then working out plans of action mentally, if you can do it physically, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we'll do seminars and take people out to the parking lot with cars parked in a typical parking configuration so that people can practice their techniques between the cars at different positions, right? Between passenger driver door uh, at the at the intersection of the front and rear fenders, so you have that plus sign kind of space mm-hmm. that you're working in between uh, grill and uh, and trunk of car, that kind of thing, right? Uh, because people need to understand how that how that minimized environment is going to affect them, right? Yeah. So working those things out, if you can, um, you know, look at uh, look at maybe working that kind of stuff into your training. You know, is rolling or leaping a better idea out of the way of things, right? At what distance do I have the ability to move? Because the primary threat with being hit by a vehicle is your um, your legs buckling as the bumper makes contact and then your body being pinned and then it's all over. You're, you're going to be whipped into the – your upper body and head are going to be whipped into the ground, right? Yeah. It's just – it'll be done, Right. Um, everybody's worried about being run over. Just worry about your skull exploding when your legs get pinned and everything else gets leveraged yeah. and slams down into the ground, right? It's a done deal, okay? So I don't want my legs to be pinned. 
So there's a consideration. Right? So um, and then just ha- having the the ukemi ability to move, right? Leaping laterally without bounding up. Way too many people jump too high when they're trying to move laterally. Your feet only need to clear the ground enough that your foot doesn't catch on something, right? Uh, leaping up, right? So maybe the car is going to hit me no matter what I do, but I can leap up high enough that my legs won't get pinned. My shins may get, you know, hit with metal, but I'm now on the hood or I'm on the, the trunk and I can roll laterally to get off the vehicle, right? Um, yeah. That kind of thing, right? It's just uh, understanding the dynamics. And this is all this all falls under that general awareness uh, phase in our eight phases of, of self-defense uh, uh, strategy, right? Uh, and then once you have these things set and you know what the um, what the trigger or what the um, uh, the the key points are, or what the um, what do I call them? I'm, I'm losing the thing here. The uh, the cues, right? Once I know hmm. what the cues are, right, then I can I can move based on that, right? Um, yeah. But always knowing that I'm going to be behind because it's the, the thing that's going to be hitting me. This is a punch, a kick, a grab, a car, whatever. The thing that's going to be hitting me is closer to me than I first in, uh, re- realized because by the time my brain processes that a vehicle is moving in my direction or a punch is moving in my direction or whatever – it has already traveled so much farther in space than what I think I'm seeing. Okay? And this hmm. is just one of those things yeah. that people need to get their head wrapped around. Right? Right. That's why yeah. we tell people in training, when we're doing slow training, you must wait until the last possible second to move. One, it tracks him. Right? So that's a good strategy that everybody wants to get their head wrapped around. But in the beginning, for Mod 1 people, we don't tell them that. We tell them to move. They have to wait longer. And they have to wait until it's really scaring them, right? Because in a real situation, from the from the moment that they think they see the fist move, in reality that fist is two thirds to three quarters of its way to hitting the target. Hmm. By the time your brain tells you what it sees, the fist has already traveled almost the entire distance between them and you. So you have to be able to move directly and instantly with no, here's that meditation thing at the beginning of our, our discussion, you have to be able to move without residual wind-up or without any kind of wind-up. So you can't lean before your footsteps or, you you know, you can't uh, shift one foot to move another. You're going to get slammed. Okay? It's even right. worse with vehicles. So if, give or take, 24, give or take about 18 to 24 inches, um, no, it's actually longer even on me, and I'm short. So give or take just shy of three feet is the start position for black belt training in the dojo. And we want people to be standing farther than that, right, against somebody yeah. with a fist balled up, right? So we're talking, what, three, three and a half feet that the guy's got to cover to, to be able to hit you. And then that takes away his ability to hit with you with a jab, and, uh, you know, lead snap kick or something like that. He has to, he has to fully commit step. Right, uh, and that's just for a, a punch that's traveling at you know that speed. Right, a yeah. vehicle, right, while it does have to get up to speed, 
can suddenly lurch in a given direction. So how much more distance do we need? Right? I say minimum four feet. Okay? So uh, if you can't be in a, in a place where you can put that much space, you and that vehicle that might suddenly move, right? if I walk through a parking lot and there's a vehicle that's running, I move farther away from that vehicle. Hmm. But I don't know what that person is doing, what they're paying yeah. attention to, anything, right? And if the backup lights are on, if I'm in a parking lot and I see the, the reverse lights on, I'll stop. Because he can back up for, out of that stall and hit a car on the other side, right, of the, of the parking lot and the other, you know, on the other lane, right, the other parking side, right? He can hit that in about a second. I can't, it's going to take me longer than that to walk in an arc to, to get around. So I will stop until we make eye contact. And even if they wave me on, I'm going to make some extra space or whatever. You know, and again, part of this is, is picking up on intentions, stuff like that as well. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so giving it space. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, I we, uh, or not. I know we're just scratching. Yeah. The just scratching the surface, but that's uh, that's great, and I think something you know everybody needs to become uh, acutely more aware of. Uh, we're we're pretty much at the end of our time, and so we want to see if we want to open it up here for any final comments or questions. Yeah, of course, of course. So I'd like to say open. There's Morgan. Are you oh. still there? Hello. Hey. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm here. I, hello. I just want to say three things. You know, number one, I'm very very glad that. You know, I actually listened in on this call because a lot of the things you touched are exactly the things I've been dealing with. You know, oh, well. you talked the first. So the first subject, you know, I'm going to talk about each subject for a second. The first subject we talked about was making the space for, you know, time. Because I know that that's something I need to do a little bit more of, you know, to get a little more concentration and focus. The second thing that you talked about was, you know, you know, dealing with, you know, the DDU, you know, the don't, do not disturb, you know, thing. And for me, that's kind of important, too, to have that kind of time. But you also talked about how it takes you time to disengage, you know, and go back into things. Because I know, like, sometimes if I'm, like, in a sparring match with some people, it takes me about 15, 20 minutes for me to get back down to being completely calm, you know. I understand mm -hmm. that could be lack of training. I, I understand that. The third thing is you're talking about situal awareness. Now, for me, that has hit very, very close to home. And let me explain why. You probably heard about the shooting that happened in Washington in Bellingham in the mall that happened, like, maybe a year, no more than a year ago. Oh, sure, well, sure. Yeah, I thought you were talking about here most recently. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. So my mom, my mother, worked with the kid, with the with the uh shooter when she he was working in the naval commissary because she works in the you know in the naval base and uh -huh. he was a bagger and the day that this happened my sister was being asked by her friends to go but she felt sick and didn't go and her friend decided not to go too so sure in a way it stopped them and then mm -hmm. finally there's also the fact of my friend slash supervisor who got murdered recently you know in april because you know, he was unarmed, and you're talking about how things can happen at any moment. Well, he didn't expect the guy to walk behind him and then shoot him in the back. 
you know? Sure. And, sure. you know, so that kind of made me do a lot of thinking. And then you talked about the whole situation that happened in Charlottesville where, you know, you were saying the same thing that you're not taking sides. Well, I've been in this position where I'm like, well, if I have to protect somebody, who would I protect? Because no matter what, you're, you're going to lose. You know, if you help uh, one side, you know, if you help the uh, protest, the original protesters who were the hate speech people and trying to protect right. them because the Antifa people were attacking, you're looked at as a racist. But if you're with Antifa, you're looking at a domestic terrorist. If you're right, working right. with the Black Lives Matter, it's the same thing. It's like I'm sitting there talking to my friends going, what am I supposed to do here? You know, yeah, as see, a person, because is... I, do, I, do, I do security, so it's like right. my training has been to put myself in danger and, you know, do all the things you're talking about. And it's like now I'm at the point where, like, where do I stand? But there's you know? also a record, and, and that's right. And, but the, the, the big thing, too, is, is in recognizing a no-win situation for what it is, right? So if I'm going to sacrifice exactly. my life, Will there be a benefit coming out of that? And as cheesy as this is going to sound, uh, I'm going to borrow this from uh, the one Karate Kid movie where he went to Okinawa and his friend, lifelong friend, had this long grudge and wanted to fight him and all that. And he finally agreed to fight him to save the village. And when Daniel Simon said, you could die, and he said, it's okay, I've already won. Win or lose, the village stays. So, see, that's a warrior statement Mm -hmm. right there. So, but otherwise, I'm not picking sides between two lunatics, okay? Uh, give me an example yeah, exactly. of this, and, and Eric may remember this from, from his training as well. There's a dojo. I often give moral and ethical questions in the dojo, and one of them is, uh, was, was wrapped around when they were doing uh, basically bodyguard training. They were rescuing a friend, okay, kind of thing. So we set up these scenarios where a friend who has no training is being attacked or there's a threat of an attack from somebody else, and how what the training is involved in is, is either redirecting this guy's attention onto me so my friend can run away, or insinuating my, my own body right between my friend and this guy. So again, the guy's animosity is coming at me. I've trained for decades to be able to deal with somebody like this. My friend is not. Now, that's a whole other topic as to why my friend is wrong for not doing that. However... They haven't. So, therefore, what I'm doing is I'm giving them the opportunity to go home, right? But here's the ethical question. I do this, and now my friend feels empowered because it's two against one, and he clocks the guy and engages. Where a minute ago, he was pissing himself. What do I do? Mm. Now, that's a question for everybody, but and you don't have to have my answer. My answer is I disengage and go home. And there's a lot of people that argue with me because you do anything for friends, you do anything for family, no matter what. And I disagree because mm-hmm. I, agree with I you just on that gave one too. my friend the greatest gift I could give them, and I was willing to sacrifice myself so they could flee. And they turned it on me and made it something that it should never have been. Now it's their I agree problem. With you. So the other thing while is, lots of people disagree me, with is, me, that's okay. But, see, that's where that falls in, where I'm not taking sides when two groups that have the potential of harming somebody if they don't get their own way show up in the same space, I'm not going to be in that space. 
I will be hired by and protect somebody who has to get through that area or around that area, but I'm not going to be a part of the mess. Well, it's funny you mentioned the bodyguard thing because, you know, that's now my next goal because I've been doing security 16 years. My next goal is Mm -hmm. to do bodyguarding work. So for me, Mm -hmm. I already understand, you know, what you're talking about because for me, you know, I'm kind of the same way. If I'm in a position where I put my life on the line for somebody and then they do exactly the same thing, I would have left too because now, like you said, they changed the whole scenario of things to make it about them now. Instead of them trying to get away, now it just became a personal fight between these two people, and I, I, I would leave the problem, personally. The problem with bodyguards being, uh, you know, the, the, and this is not a problem with them individually, but it's a job. And if they're working for a company yeah. that contracts itself with a given client, it's like the samurai of the old mm-hmm. days. You have no choice. If they give you that assignment, you either quit your job or you take the assignment. So often it's mm-hmm. a do I get a paycheck or not, do I support the family or not kind of thing. The great thing about being an yes. independent like me is somebody tells me what their job is. I look at – let's say I go into a company and I'm doing workplace security kind of thing just to make sure that they – aren't going to, you know, the HR guy is not going to be killed by some jack wagon who deserved to get fired, right? So mm-hmm. I go in and I look at their policies and all this kind of stuff, and I go, okay, I'll, you know, I'll take on the assignment. This is fine. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And they start steering things in a direction that will barely make it a feel-good uh, policy, but it becomes very evident to mm-hmm. me that they're not going to follow any of these things um, afterwards, and I may be held liable because – they, they could turn it around and say that I didn't give them enough or I didn't provide them with the right answers. In that instant, I refund mm-hmm. their, their retainer, I fire them as a client, and I just make it clear that, that somehow I missed this on the way in because I have qualifier questions and very specific mm-hmm. requirements for working with somebody. I am not your employee. I am somebody you're bringing in to fix a problem you have no specialization in. So mm-hmm. consultants – you know, you have a choice as a consultant. You can be a, not, a head nodding, uh, you know, agreeing, whatever, to get them to sign the contract so you get paid, regardless of what they do, or you can have uh, balls and, and morals and be willing to look at a CEO or a CFO or a COO right in the eyes and go, it's obvious you guys aren't going to, you know, this isn't something you're going to take seriously. This is a cover your ass kind of thing. So, uh, I'm you're going to have to call somebody else, right? And more often than not, that actually shakes them up, and they've, you know, turned it around. Very rarely do I get a client like I have now where the VP of operations looks at me and goes, we've we've slipped on getting this thing done, this thing done, and this thing done, and, and made you wait. I really need you to kick us in the pants and keep us moving so that we don't let the day-to-day operations get in the way of this project being finished because we understand we're not completely safe until you finish your job. I mean, that's yeah. a dream client. Hmm. Yeah, but at the same great. time, yeah. I had to be very specific on the way in the door. right? So, uh, And I'm okay. I'm also okay with people not liking my statements. You know, often, <laughs> Eric knows, they'll turn into uh, little sketches here on the on the show, <laughs> you know, whether somebody doesn't like the fact that we called Kudan a needed to radio show or whatever. Okay, what do you want to call it? You know, should we go back to grinding our own ink out of soot sticks and writing on parchment paper or, uh, 
you know, whatever, right? Uh, or the uh, acquaintance that I've had in the art for a long, long time who was trying to argue uh, the liability of me defending myself against somebody who's going to shoot me in the face and somebody across the park uh, gets killed or gets shot, right? So are we talking about mm -hmm. moral or karmic responsibility because I played a part in the trajectory of that bullet or legal culpable responsibility because I intentionally acted where there was, you know, maybe he wasn't going to pull the trigger, but I, I acted in a way that caused him to startle. I didn't control the muzzle well enough, and knowing that the weapon would go off, and there's a crowd of people behind me, right? So, you know, mm. how much time do I have to, to operate? And really what it comes down to is, you know, uh, how well can you articulate the reality from your perspective of the situation? So all these yeah. things are important in the training, all of them. We, uh, we're running up against our, our time limit, and we uh, are, definitely and don't want our recording so. to be uh, cut off so that the podcast listeners who get this later will be able right. to get <laughs> yeah, all Yeah, everything of this. goes so, dead silent. But, uh, yeah, so, Randy, thank you very much for your comments, and uh, um, I really I, enjoyed it. If, if, there's any way, if, you, if there's any way you guys can get my email or some way I can get that information, I'd like to email you guys a little bit more and chat with you guys, especially the one who's in the Uba City. I definitely like to meet up with you because it's not a couple hours away, I, and I don't mind traveling for good schools, you know, for ninjutsu. So I think I, I think me and you would get along well. Yeah, I can reach out and uh, we can work on connecting. That'd be great. Uh, and I need perfect. to work on we yeah, need to work on getting a, a seminar hosted in in on the west coast there. So uh, so we can okay, cover some, some of this stuff. That that would be cool. So yeah, why don't Excellent. you? Um, uh, go on to the Kuden page. I think that um, I think you can PM through there, right? I mean, is that yeah? You can send a you message, can send a message to the page. Yeah, just uh -huh. do that and send us your contact information, and then we'll I'll make sure you end up on my mailing list, and uh, Eric can can handle things from his end. Cool. You'll get it tonight. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, guys. All right. Thanks so much, and uh, until next week. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Kuden. The podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.